Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy it. show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling. Whatever show, movie, song, or tech, we just can't get out of our heads. This week, however, is not a normal week. This week, we'll be announcing each of our top 10 films of 2019, as well as just kind of reviewing our movie-going year in 2019. But before we get started with all of that, let's introduce ourselves, and when we do, let's answer the question... What was your best movie-going experience of 2019? I'm Lucas Wright, a designer from Chicago, and my favorite movie-going experience this year, I saw a preview screening of Knives Out, and the crowd went wild the entire movie. Laughed at all the best bits, was completely engaged. You could feel the tension in the room the entire movie. It was so great. Everybody got out and just wanted to like hang out with each other afterwards. It was amazing. And I am Sandra Amstutz. I am a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee. And my best movie-going experience um, was easily when I went to go see Cats in theaters because I went on a Monday (laughs) night at a 10 p.m. showing, and that was the right crowd to see Cats with. Um, The movie had already been out for a week. We all, like, screamed and cheered and danced and yelled at at the TV. It was amazing. So I had a blast watching that movie. Um, this week, we also have a special guest with us. Josh, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Josh Tumblin. I'm a director and acting coach from Seattle, Washington. And my best movie-going experience was uh, I had to get a lot of movies in at the last minute. And so I saw a lot of double features, which, I mean, I had forgotten how much fun that is. That's the best. So, yeah, just three or four different double features, just like walking out of one theater and into another. So just binging. Binging is your... Yeah. Favorite of the yeah. Nice. Well, um, like I said, we're going to be talking about our top 10 movies of the year. Uh, but before we start doing that, I figure we should all each kind of talk about what movies we missed this year, what we didn't get a chance to see before we, as a disclaimer, before we all read off our lists. Um, so Lucas, what did you not get a chance to see this year? The only movies that I didn't see that I thought probably wouldn't make my list, but I, if they could be on your list, so I will say in advance that I missed them, um, are A Hidden Life um, and... Wow, I'm looking at my 2018 list for a second. <laughs> Just like, and Free Solo. Um, no, A Hidden Life and Her Smell were the two movies that I did not get a chance to see this year. Gotcha. Uh, Josh, what about you? Oh, man. There are so many movies that I wanted to see this year and I didn't see. Honey <laughs> Boy, Dark Waters, Uncut Gems, Pain and Glory, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, Blinded by the Light, Ad Astra, Marriage Story, Her Smell. One Cut of the Dead, wow. Midsummer, Tigers Are Not Afraid, <laughs> The Souvenir, Under the Silver Lake, Skin, The Report, High Life, Apollo 11. After I've read my top 10, I'm, I need to go through that list you just read and tell you, like, okay, definitely see this, definitely avoid that. Like, yeah, I yeah. Need to make my rest. Amazing, yeah. for yeah. sure. <laughs> 
Josh, did you did you see ten movies this year for this list? I, I don't know if you'll I, I don't know if you'll be able to. Keep, I saw keep here. I saw a lot of movies. This year, <laughs> okay, good. But, um, <laughs> this is usually those. an obnoxious question to ask because I'm usually using it to brag, but not as much this year. Do y'all know how many movies you watched this year? How many new releases? Yes, I, I, I watched around thirty this year, okay. which is low for me. Yeah, um, Lucas, I think you have me beat this year. I only watched sixty. Uh, 61 yeah. <laughs> yeah i was looking at your letterbox yeah. thinking like oh he's gonna yeah. beat this year um <laughs> last year was exhausting josh i watched 105 and i'll never it's insane yeah. yeah it was too much That's, 100 movies is my goal for this year uh, i mean 100 movies that was my goal last year and i hit it but it may i was we recorded our top 10 at the very end of january in order for me to do that and I had to watch like two movies a day for like the whole month of January, essentially. <laughs> to be clear, I'm not trying to watch 100 new releases. Oh. You have to watch a lot of bad movies oh, no. to hit that number. I, I no, watched no. 105. She watched 100 new, new releases. releases last year. That's too many. There's not 105 good movies released every well, year. No, but you never know which ones are going to be good until you watch them. Oh, man. And I, that's fair. Bad sh- movies th- just hit the spot. So, like, you, you know. That's also very true. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so some of the movies that I missed this year um, are Atlantics, Honeyland, Uncut Gems, The Irishman, Pain and Glory, The Two Popes, The Art of Self-Defense, and The Beach Bum. Um, most of those I really wanted to see, but just didn't make time for them. So, um, those are just... Dis- Beach Bum is Harmony Corinne, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I also missed that. Yeah. The, the Beach Bum and Art of Self-Defense were two in particular that, like, seem really up my alley, but then I didn't. They they weren't yeah, as well-reviewed as a lot of other things, so I didn't make time for them. Um, whereas other movies like Uncut Gems look amazing, but I'll probably never see. So that's just how, how the cookie crumbles. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Yeah. Um, all right. Is there anything else any of y'all want to say before we start getting into our list? Nope. No. <laughs> I don't want to say anything else. Let's great. do it. I didn't know you had any, any announcements it. or anything, you know, anything fun. <laughs> but, um, great. Let's get into this. I'm going to start us off, okay? Um, let's start off with my number 10, which is Hustlers. Now, did both of y'all, I know, Lucas, you saw Hustlers. Josh, did you get a chance to see that? Yes. I didn't. Okay. Hustlers, um, the, my number 10 and my number 9, I'm not going to have a lot to say about because I saw them, it feels like, so long ago, and I didn't get a chance to rewatch them before this list. So my memories are hazy about all the very specific things that I loved about those movies. But what I do remember is how I felt leaving the theater after seeing Hustlers. Um, I I thought that this movie brought so much life into my year of film you know that personally i felt this year was not as exciting as a lot of other years when i've been really into like lots of movie releases throughout the calendar and this year just wasn't that for me and by the time hustlers came around i think in august it really like brightened up my perspective on film it was so energetic and empathetic and thoughtful and fun and scary and dramatic it was everything that i wanted out of a big movie and um, I really just had so much of a blast with it. I um, recently rewatched um, one like iconic piece of acting that Jennifer Lopez does in it that should have been 
the clip that they ran at the Oscars when she should have been nominated for an Oscar <laughs> this year. Um, and it really yeah. reignited like why this movie was so meaningful to me because it's a scene and this isn't a big spoiler where she's just talking about a, a fellow character and their deep bond and relationship and what they meant to each other. And it reminded me about how this movie is so beautiful because it is at its core about female friendships and found families and how the women in your life that mean so much to you become your family. Um, and that's for better or worse. You treat them um, well and poorly because of that. And I was so moved by this movie. And it's what I love is that it is a moving film that isn't afraid to have flash and fun. And I, I love that about it. So that's my number 10. It's beautiful. I, I love... Love Jennifer Lopez in this movie. It's one of her best performances, and I'm upset that she did not get nominated. It, like <laughs> it is truly a robbery. There's like a lot of things with these Oscar nominations that I wish would have happened, or things that you felt were snubbed. I think this is the most egregious of them all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. Josh, what is your number ten? My number ten. I'm playing fast and loose with the term movie. Um, <laughs> oh no! Because <laughs> I think. That if something is, you know, longer than one episode of a show, okay, and it's narrative, it should count as a movie. Uh, my number ten is John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. I I don't think I have been so utterly delighted throughout a viewing experience in my adult life. Uh, it's just it, it. There's something about creating satire of a genre that remains squarely within that genre. It's like both a an amazing send up and mockery of that of that thing and also a perfect example of that thing that just that marriage makes me so happy. I've been playing the soundtrack for it nonstop on you know on Spotify. I can't stop thinking about little jokes in it. I've watched it three times already. It's amazing. Lucas, did you ever get a chance to watch this? I still haven't uh, watched it. I really need to. Uh, it's the most delightful thing that's ever been filmed. It's a, it is truly amazing. I am also constantly listening to the soundtrack. Um, there is a song on there. A few days after I had seen it for the first time, I found myself like humming this melody in the shower and I couldn't place like, what is this from? I was like <laughs> looking through all the albums I had listened to and like, where did this song come from? Like, is this on Harry Styles album? Like, where is it? And then it finally hit me that it was Do Flowers Exist at Night from John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. And now that's just what I sing to myself all the time. It's, um, it's great. It's great comedy music. And it like, it has that same kind of, feeling that uh like you know weird al mostly does covers so less him but more like flight of the concords and that self comedy band where it's like it's funny but also like the music is very good oh yeah and like well composed Ugh. i mean the and what i love about this special is that it's both like like you said being satirical but also like so moving in certain parts of it like yeah. um the song I, I always I don't know ever get the exact wording correctly, but it's I saw a white lady sobbing on the street, and it's all I could think about for a week. Yeah. That song, it's like starts off, and you like you see what the humor is, and it's what it's making fun of, and then it becomes this like really beautiful moving song at one point in it, and 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 it makes me almost become a white lady lady sobbing in front of a laptop, like watching for this sure. Song. And there's. <laughs> 
And there are a lot of songs in it that are like that, that have that like little nugget of like actual message or, or truth to them. Like the, I think the opening song is grandma's got a boyfriend, Ugh. which is like, I had friends when we were little who like went through that and it's a weird yeah. and it's like, it's hilarious, but it's also like a very accurate depiction of that situation. Yeah. Um, I personally, Josh, would not count this as a movie, but I, we don't enforce any strict <laughs> rules on this podcast, so we're going to let it slide. Um, but well, it's nice to know you're not fat. <laughs> yeah, we try. We'll see um, if you have a video game as your next one. I, we're going to have to take this outside. <laughs> what if it's number eight and not the next one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We'll, we'll cross that path when we come to it. Um, Lucas, what is... This might be your last episode on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Lucas, what is your number 10 of the year? My 10... It, my 10. My number 10 is A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Um, this is the story of a journalist who interviews Fred Rogers and just the relationship that that... Or the effect that that relationship has on his life. Um, I loved this movie. Let me tell you about Marielle Heller... She is incredible. She's an incredible director. Can You Ever Forgive Me was on my honorable mentions list last year. Um, I just feel like she has such an empathy for her characters and just really spends time in these shots just lingering on faces in a way that I think is brilliant and beautiful and nobody else is doing. Um, I had like nine films um, that I knew that like these nine films are going to be on my list. And then this 10th spot was open um, and I had probably another seven films that I was like, these are all kind of vying for this number 10 spot. Um, but I put this one here, I think just because it's, it's a film that I absolutely love and will return to. And I think just gives a very unique perspective that I haven't seen from a lot of other filmmakers, but I, every, I've, has everybody seen this? I have. Yeah. I didn't see it. I adore okay. it. I, I think it's, it's, beautiful and if you love fred rogers um which i don't know anyone who doesn't <laughs> um this uh, tom hanks gives just a very thrilling performance of him yeah that is a, a great pick i'm so glad that it made it onto your list because i i know what that feels like where that number 10 spot there's like yeah i felt the same way i felt like there was like 10 different movies that could have been there um uh, that's the hardest yeah. one yeah um Let's move on to my number nine pick. Um, this number nine pick kind of also fell into that. Number nine and ten were really hard for me to decide on. Um, but I ultimately went with The Farewell. Um, this movie, again, is one that I haven't seen in a while. Um, I tried to, like, maybe watch it real quick today, and I wasn't able to. I wasn't able to make it in. But I... There are a few scenes in this movie that are, like branded into my brain. Um, Aquafina really stuns in this movie. And she is like one of these actresses that I just can't wait to watch her career unfold. Um, and then, and it, what stuns even more than Aquafina is the direction in this movie. Um, oh, I always forget. Is it Lulu Wang or Lulu Wong? I think Wong. Wang? Lulu Wang. Oh. Well, it's spelled W-A-N-G. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But I don't I'm know fairly how certain it's yeah. Wang. Okay. Um, I think it's Wang. I believe that this is her directorial debut. Um, and no. Uh, no, she has a she has another oh, okay. feature before okay. this. This is like her first like major like awards like yeah. fuzzy movie. Um, this like she's a her direction in this is amazing. It's her story, which also like 
makes it even more meaningful. But she is a filmmaker. This year has really been about me, like, discovering filmmakers, especially female filmmakers, that, like... I just will be praying every night that they that their careers flourish after this year because they, I yeah. I, I desperately need more films from them. Um, I I love the way that they see the world, the way they see characters, the way they write, the the camera decisions that they make. Um, and this movie was really special. There were certain sequences with the camera um, that made this movie feel a, a movie that is an intimate family drama feel so much bigger than that, which I love because intimate family dramas are one of probably my favorite kind of movies. <laughs> and I love for them to feel as big in the theater as they feel in my heart. Um, and this movie did that. I, I love seeing the way this family works things out. Um, yeah, I, I was, I was really in awe of it. So that's my number nine. Um, did both of y'all get to see this? Yes, okay, I did. Great. Yes. Um, Josh, what is your number nine? My number nine uh, was probably the hardest pick for me, and it, I ended up on the lighthouse. Oh, nice. which I I need to say first off that I'm not I'm honestly not sure that I like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I man I I've been thinking about it constantly since I saw it. Yeah, I can't yep. stop thinking about it, <laughs> and I think that says a lot. Like I. I think that if you're making art uh, and then I can't stop thinking about your art, it doesn't matter if I like it or not. Like you've done something successfully, you know, as long as I'm not constantly thinking, man, it was so disappointing. It was so right. bad. Right. <laughs> right. You know, sure. like, I'm constantly trying to figure out what, like what happened. And the, uh, every time I think about it, I like realize more symbology that was used in it. And like, yeah, it's not very often that I want to go in for a second viewing immediately but again, not because it was so good, just because it was so dense um, that I, I just I wanted to turn it on immediately again and watch the whole thing through just to like pick up on things I missed and, and get more to it. It felt like it feels like watching a novel, like a really well written masterwork novel of where you're like, yeah. you read you read it again and you're like, oh, he's set this up 500 pages before it happens. And it's just a, it's just excellently crafted. When the trailers for that movie came out, I immediately thought, like, ugh, not for me. Like, that movie, don't want to <laughs> see it. And then we ended up deciding to review it on the podcast. And I'm so glad we did because, um, yeah, that movie, yeah. like, has so much going on in it. And I couldn't look away from the screen. Um, I, I found it really, really enchanting. I love the way they use this. He uses the square aspect ratio to, like make you feel claustrophobic again and the way he's blown out the shadows and uh or, or uh, blown out the whites and lower the shadows to like a pitch black it's it just creates this like constant emotion even when hilarious things are happening on screen <laughs> yeah. and it's a very it's very funny for a i guess like very a quote unquote horror movie but yeah it's like even when it's hilarious it's terrifying constantly just because of the visual of it yeah, just God bless Robert Pattinson. I just love that he <laughs> is who he is and picks the movies that he picks. Yeah. Yep. Um, Lucas, what is your number nine? Well, speaking of movies that um, <laughs> you're not entirely sure if you actually like them or not, um, but they end up on the list because you can't stop thinking about them. Mine is Uncut Gems. 
Um, this is the movie where Adam Sandler plays a gambling, swindling, um, diamond district, uh, jeweler. And this movie is chaos incarnate. I cannot stop thinking about how ridiculous this movie is. This movie is, is, it feels like you like get when I, when I got out of this movie, it felt like I had just gotten out of like a boxing match. I was sweating. I was exhausted. (laughs) Um, but just like their last movie, Good Times, this movie feels like a guided free fall. Like you are just constantly on the edge of your seat, like in a panic the entire movie. This is this is the best Adam Sandler I think will ever be. Also, Kevin Garnett is amazing in this movie. Um, it was a pain to watch, but it's the only movie on my list that actively discour- that I would actively discourage people from going and seeing. Um, but I would say watch the trailer. It encapsulates everything. Per- it encapsulates everything perfectly. So if you watch it and you think this is for me, it's probably for you. If you absolutely hate the trailer, then do not watch this movie. Um, but I had it was an, it was just one of the biggest experiences that I've had in watching a movie in a long time. You know, a headline came out today that said that um, going to the theater and watching a movie um, is almost equivalent to a light workout that your like heart rate gets yes. up when you're watching a movie in a th- in a movie yeah. theater. Yeah. And I bet that this one wouldn't even be a light workout. It would be equivalent to like a full <laughs> <No>. workout. <laughs> this is 100% a heavy workout. <laughs> you are constantly feeling like you're about to die. The score is bombastic. Everyone is yelling at each other the entire time. It's New York. Yeah, it's it's intense. It's so intense. But the performances are great. I think the story is so interesting. Um but I don't know if I'll ever watch this yeah. again. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm really excited to see it. I I love when Adam Sandler does not straight comedy. Yeah, like every time yeah. it makes this it is so good. I can't imagine him doing anything like this ever again. I honestly think he'll stick to comedies from here on out. Like the rest of his life will just be the movies that he's been making for the last ten years. Like this is it for him. I don't know. He's not that old. I can see old old Adam Sandler giving it a go again, getting bored. Maybe. Maybe he just <laughs> he likes Joe to Pesci. take Kevin James to Hawaii on the company dime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, this Ugh. is a movie that I don't think I'll ever see. But you know what I really want to watch is like a condensed version of this movie on YouTube. Like someone who like assembles <laughs> like all the catchy catchphrase moments um, without any of the building yeah. tension. Like that's what I want to see. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. I'm sure that'll be out there somewhere. <laughs> um, amazing trailer. Probably one of the best trailers yeah. of the year. I would, I will absolutely give it that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, okay, let's move on to our number eights. I will start us off. My number eight movie of the year is Avengers Endgame. Um, wow. Whoa. Yeah. So I normally don't put Marvel movies on my top ten list. Um I see every one of them. I like almost every single one of them. Um, but to me, they never rise um, to the level of like quality to be like the ten, one of the 10 best movies of the year. And this year was an exception because I just think, when, when I think back on the movies I've seen this year and how I felt when watching them in a theater, um, very few movies compare to the joy, the excitement, the passion that I got to feel while watching this, like, culmination of this saga, you know? Um, 
I was just thoroughly like enveloped in that movie and I felt so much joy at the end of watching it. And I think I also really just wanted to reward it because I think as we've seen through plenty of TV shows and trilogies, ending a story that big is very hard. It's <laughs> it's incredibly hard to end a story well um, when you've been telling it for so long. Um, I can think of so many TV show series finales that just really dropped the ball. And this movie had 21 films before it, I think. And so that's just like such a huge lead up and so much opportunity to not get it right. And I think that they got it really, really right. And it's, I think that's a massive achievement. Um, there are scenes in this that I think are just pitch perfect, beautiful storytelling amongst all the big blockbustery action set pieces. And yeah, I was just thrilled with the way it all came together and how they really took care to pay off so many different storylines all in one cohesive film. So yeah, this, this movie did it for me. Um, I know both of y'all saw it because y'all, you, we, we all talked yeah. about it on this podcast. Yeah. We talked about it. I'm shocked that this ended up on your list, but I, I totally agree with you. I think, uh, yeah, watching other series end this year, um, I think really shows how, uh, important it is to land that ending. And I really don't think anybody has done it better than Endgame. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, this was very, very barely not on my list. It's just so good. Yeah, it is. <laughs> now I'm questioning everything. Well, and again, and I think it's for me, another big part of it is just that like, this is, I'm, I'm keeping in mind that this is part of a larger story and a part of a larger um, aspect of my film going life. You know, like I have been watching these movies yeah. for mm -hmm. about a decade and I watch every single one of them. And there's only like a few out of those 20 that I didn't like. And I think that's just such a great track record and to take all that goodwill and to not waste it is I think an achievement. Definitely. Yeah. Um, okay, Josh, what is your number eight? Sorry, I'm coming down from the high of trying really hard not to gush about the MCU again. Oh, yeah. Um. If, if you want to hear Josh gush about the MCU, go listen to our Endgame episode. <laughs> um, my number eight is Jojo Rabbit. Uh, Taika Waititi is one of my favorite filmmakers working right now. I, I think everything he's ever done is beautiful and like the exact length that it needs to be. And the exact tone that it needs to be. And it has heart while also being funny. And Jojo Rabbit is no different than those things. It, it does a really excellent job of, of telling this story about uh, like a very conflicted person growing up in a very conflict-filled time. And, and making it light while also not uh, undermining the importance of what's happening. And it's just, I, it's just a, a really beautiful picture of like relationships and how they can affect people um i think i i cannot wait to see all the movies that taika watiti continues to make <laughs> over his career um i was really excited about this one and i had so much fun in it it's very funny um while still being very serious um and having like really good things to say um, I also think there are just some key moments in this movie that I will remember seeing forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I, I thought it was beautiful. I, 
was very cold on this movie, sadly. Um, but Scarlett Johansson, we I think we just we Lucas and I didn't talk about this movie on the podcast, so I just want to do I do want to take this chance to say that she really does shine in that movie. Like I yeah. I don't know that I'm a particular yeah. Scarlett Johansson fan, but you can't deny like how much how great she is in that film. Um and and, and yeah. that is one part of the movie that really really worked for me. Everything she was doing. Definitely. As annoyed as I as annoyed as I am that the Academy nominated her twice um and not a lot of other people. <laughs> um I completely agree with both of her performances this year it are just completely incredible and she, worthy of oscars so what else was she nominated for uh, uh she was nominated for best actress for Mar- marriage story oh that's yeah. right yeah i would have given her the marriage story nomination not this nomination for jojo even though i think she's incredible in it it's not i don't there are others i would have i would have nominated j-lo over scarlett <laughs> johansson uh, personally but she is very very good very charming yeah um, Lucas, what is your number eight movie of the year? My number eight movie is The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, I this is this was one of those movies where I liked it and then it sat with me and I kept thinking about it over and over again. Um, and it just kept climbing higher and higher on my list of movies that I liked this year. Um, but it's the story of a man who basically gets uh, priced out of San Francisco and. Um, his relationship with his family home there that he's um, um, that his uh, I think great grandfather built or something like that. Um, And just having to kind of sever his ties with that Um, as someone who recently moved away from San Francisco from the San Francisco Bay area. I think this one, this one hit pretty hard. Um, Just, it talks a lot about um, what is home, what makes that um, important to people um, and just the idea of friendship and um, connections to people. Um, there's, it's a beautiful cast, really great supporting roles. Um, I love everybody in it. I am very excited to see um, more from. I'm trying to Joe remember Talbot, the I think. Yes, yes mm-hmm. Joe Talbot. Um, yeah, I I really liked this movie. I don't think many people saw this movie this year, um, but it is truly beautiful. And if you get a chance, check it out. Um, one of the things that it really gets at is you you can't truly hate something unless you've had um, a relationship with it in some way. So it's very, very unique. I only saw this movie like very, very recently. So it narrowly missed being on my top 10, I think, because of that recency. You know what I mean? Um if this movie is, um, yep. if I had seen this a few months earlier, um, I, it might have made it because it might have, and maybe in a few months I will be regretting not putting it on. But yeah, <laughs> this movie is stunning. Yeah. And for me, I think easily, easily one of the best scores of the year. Like, oh, oh yeah. very good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that score. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Blew me away. Um, there's there's so much that, like you said, from from this director that like, I can't wait to see what he can do with a future story, what he can do with maybe a bigger budget, what, you know, more time, whatever he, mm-hmm. whatever he needs to t- do his storytelling. Because yeah, just, this is his debut film and, and what a promising start. For sure. All right, let's move on to, where are we at? Number seven, right? Yes. Number seven. Yep. Yes. My number seven of the year is Knives Out. Now, um, 
for any listeners who listened to our top 10 of last year, um, they'll remember that Knives Out was the most, an- mine and Lucas's most anticipated movie of 2019. Um, we did yeah. great. I wasn't on that show, but it was also mine. <laughs> great, yeah. Uh, was so it? Yeah. <laughs> we were all incredibly excited for this movie. We're well huge done. Ryan Johnson fans. <laughs> um, this cast had already been announced, so that was also like, so promising and man this movie paid off like not a disappointment in any way it did i had so much fun watching this movie um i went to go see it twice in theaters i loved seeing it the second time with people that hadn't seen it before and knowing how all the plot twists work out and seeing all the um ways it pays off throughout the film um was so fun to track I love a good puzzle, and that's what this movie is at at its core. And among amidst that puzzle is just delicious characters and performances from celebrities that we adore. And there's just not anything to dislike <laughs> about this film. Um, it is a great time at the movies, and that's you know I was so happy to have it. Josh, what is your number seven? Uh, my number seven is Knives Out. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just so good. Uh, it's very easy for an ensemble piece like that to get super muddy. And he does such a good job of giving us the exact right amount of time with each person. And, and like, the thing that impressed me the most about it is I, I've watched a lot of movies and I studied film and, like, narrative structure for so long that um, I I have a tendency to figure out what's going to happen in movies if they're well-made, um, which is not a brag. I don't recommend it. It sucks. Um, Wait, if they're but, well-made or if they're not well-made? No, if they are well-made, if they're, if the filmmaker is seeding things properly and like explaining, like, for example, like I, I, I knew what the twist was as it happened at the beginning of this movie, Okay, but the movie's so engaging that, by the time it came back around, I had totally forgotten I had figured it out. Oh, okay. And I think that is such a, that's such a hard thing to do in a mystery to like plan things out in a way that it's totally accessible to figure out what's happening, but also engage the audience enough that they forget to work on the puzzle. Oh, what a great way to phrase that. I think he does such a good job at it. It's true. I mean, you put Chris Evans in any movie, I'll forget to work on the puzzle. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, yeah. Oh, I mean, I just love that whenever we get to like have a movie that we're so excited about and it fulfills all the, all of our dreams like that, that is such a great feeling to have. Um, so yeah, I, I love that we both have that on our list. Um, Lucas, what is your number seven? My number seven is marriage story. Um, Speaking of Scarlett Johansson performances, bringing those back up. Um, This is the movie that I've actually rewatched clips from the most this year. (laughs) Um, There are just certain scenes in this that I I just want to watch it again. And so I'll just bring it back up on Netflix, get to go to that scene and just rewatch it. Um, I think some of the performances are just so stellar. Um, To me, it feels a lot like a theater production. Um, I would actually love to see this exact movie performed by... Dozens and dozens of actors yes. again and again. But I, I do think Adam Driver and, and Scarlett Johansson have a very unique take on these characters um, that stands out. It's it, it feels like super familiar, but it doesn't feel cliche. Um, so even though I'd love to see other people perform these roles, I do think they bring such a unique energy to it that it's just, ah, perfection. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, Josh, you haven't seen this movie, right? I haven't. Um, I'm very curious, Josh, as an actor... 
Um, yeah. Do you like what I would call actory movies, where like you're what I would call I would say Marriage Story is a very actory movie, meaning that like you go it to watch yes. this performance and and a script and a performance. That's mostly what you're watching versus like set pieces or costumes or things like that. Uh, yeah, I I think it depends. I I don't like the the reason I haven't seen Marriage Story is um, I think probably. And I knew this at the time that it was doing this to me, but I just let it happen because there were too many movies. Um, the The marketing that I have seen for it highlights all the biggest actory moments. Um, yes, <laughs> and that is that's bad. That's very bad because you know I'm sure that it's like earned in the moment, but it looks very not earned when you t- take it out of context. Um, so it, it, sometimes that kind of thing can get very self indulgent. Um, and so it's always, it's always very hit or miss for me. Yeah. One of my issues, I I remember talking about this on our podcast when we talked about marriage story with, I I wouldn't even, I don't even know if it's the marketing or if it's just the memification on Twitter of this movie is that I think it blows, like you said, those scenes are like everyone's seen like certain scenes of this movie without seeing the context of the film. And the movie as a whole is a very like heartbreaking, beautiful, thoughtful film. And there's a lot of scenes that are not the big blow up scenes that are just like these beautiful, heartbreaking moments of a marriage and being a parent. And, um, yeah. So, so it's sad to hear that people, um, aren't, are taking away from this movie, like what they're seeing on Twitter. Not saying that you're specifically only going off of Twitter, but, um, that right. is something I see happening a lot. Yeah, I, I I think you will like this movie, Josh. I think you should see it as soon as you can. A Squid and the um, Whale is one of my favorite movies ever, so I'm going to see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Also, if you like Company, this is a great movie if you like oh, Company. Oh, yeah, are you a fan of Company, <laughs> the Sondheim? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's my favorite Sondheim. Yep. So, um, fun fact, that this marriage story kind of was written after Adam Driver and Noah Baumbach were emailing about like, hey, we should do another movie together. And I think Adam Driver asked Noah Baumbach, what about doing a film version of Company? And like they had talked about making a version of Company and then it transformed into what what if instead we made this movie that ended up being Marriage Story. So Very interesting. Yeah, yeah very interesting. Um Let's move on to our number six picks. My number six of the year is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. This movie, ho damn, like ho damn, I ho damn when I started this movie. Okay, um, it starts off. I should say this whole movie is amazing. It, however, is a very like quiet film, and I. When I say quiet, I mean, there's, as far as I know, there's not a score. Like, there's no music other than the music that maybe a character might play in a scene. It's a very, like, uh, also in some certain ways harsh movie. Like, again, things just happen and there's not a lot of, like, dramatic score interpretation to what's happening. Um, so when the movie starts, you're like, okay, you're, you're, I'm getting myself settled. And then very early on, I won't spoil what it is. There is a shot that happens and it's by a fireplace and 
I immediately just like I was watching it by myself. I said to the TV like, "Oh hell yeah!" and then just proceeded to watch this movie and say "hell yeah" a million times as I watched this movie because <laughs> that is what this movie evokes out of you. There's so many things that happen that were so up my alley. Um, it's a movie about longing and romance and seeing people and sexuality and um heartbreak and and just like the good stuff it's about the good stuff is what it is and it's full of it and i loved every second of watching this movie um i haven't got a chance to talk with anyone about it because not a lot of people have seen this movie yet and i can't wait for that to change um there are shots in it that again like i said made me scream out hell yeah and that i want like posters up all up over my house um it's so, so good, and I can't wait to watch it more times. So, yeah, that's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. My thoughts aren't super eloquent on it yet because I need to watch it a few more times, I think, for me to really take in all the messaging of this movie. But just know that it was, if you have listened to this podcast and you're like, oh, whatever Sandra likes, like, that's usually my scene. This movie is very much your scene, um, and you should watch it. So, that's my number six movie of the year. Uh, Josh, you haven't gotten a chance to see this, have you? I haven't. I really want to. Yeah. It opens wide, I think, in February, sadly. So when it does, um, yeah, go see it on a big screen. As big a screen as possible. <laughs> yes. Josh, what is your number six movie of the year? Uh, my number six movie of the year is a movie that I we talked about last time I was on this show. The 1970s. Oh, is this our, like, in or out? Yeah, we did in or out for 1917, and I was out. Nice. Um, you were out. I was out. Oh, what a turn. <laughs> what a twist. Yeah. And I shot a yeah. twist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was worried about Sam Mendes, who is a very flashy, um, fash- like fashionable shooting director. Like, he just makes everything look cool, which is a bonus, not a knock. Um, shooting yeah. a war movie made me very <laughs> nervous. Um but yeah. 1917 was one of the most emotionally resonant things I've seen this year. Um, I, a lot of, almost all of the conversation around it has been about like, oh, they shot it all in, in like one take or, you know, the one take style, which is like lots of takes stitched together cleverly, actually. But neither here nor there. But I, almost no one is talking about like why that works. <laughs> And it, it works so yes. well to create this sense of yes. like you're with them the whole time. And like there's you don't get a break from the tension because they don't get a break from attention. And you're always right there. And there's there's just it's it creates this sense of like anxiety in you along with them. That's so effective in telling this story. Um, and there are some of the most beautiful shots I've seen this year are there's a there's a scene in uh, a ruin that is lit almost entirely by fire and flares that's just beautiful and I, I you know it, I am a, I'm a crier I cry in almost every movie I've ever seen um, but I, it just so many times in this movie it just like affected me deeply um, I, I think that if this movie, continues to get the kind of like widespread viewing that it seems like it's building up. This could legitimately be our generations, like all quiet on the Western front or a farewell to arms like that, 
style of anti-war media. Um, Lucas, what is your number six pick? <laughs> yeah. Um, my number six pick is also 1917. Oh. I, <laughs> um, I 100% agree with everything you said. I think some movies end up on my list. They're rewatchables. Um, I will revisit them over and over again. I don't know how often I will see this movie <laughs> um, again or if I or if I ever will, just because it is so intense. Um, but uh, it's one of those epic one-time experiences that I do think everybody should see at least once. Um, every second I was sitting in the theater, I was thinking, like, I cannot believe this is happening. I cannot believe I'm watching this right now. It is so thrilling. <laughs> and if you just step back from, like, trying to figure out how they made it one shot and, like, because I, I feel like a lot of people are getting pulled out of it because they are looking for the cuts and yeah. trying to figure out how they shot it and stuff like that. And if you just step back and allow it to just be a vehicle for this story, it immerses you in such a compelling way um, that I don't think a lot of other war movies have done, and I think this is this is the perfect way to tell this story. Um, I think it's beautiful. I think Roger Deakins is a genius. He always has been. Um, but I think this is a movie that allows him to really, really just control the whole movie, and I think Sam Mendes does an excellent job of... Um, of allowing that to happen. I, the, the, this movie is incredible. It's one of my favorite war movies of all time. I wish I had seen this movie without knowing about the one take, you know, spectacle of it all. Because yeah. Um, yeah. I think I can't, I can never know what my reaction would be like in that situa- situation. But because I knew about it, it was all I could think of. And for me, it was a distraction, sadly, um, instead of an asset. And I, mm. and I couldn't think of anything else except for a few particularly haunting scenes. Um, there's a scene of a soldier singing that like that will stick with me for like yeah. a long time. Um, there's a scene with like a woman that will stick with me for a long time. Um, but other than that, the rest of the movie sadly was like, uh, acknowledging what was happening, but not feeling anything because I couldn't only think about the camera. Um, and I just mm. think that that is a big marketing flaw that this movie made. Um, it's probably going to get people into theaters, but I don't think it'll enhance their viewing experience. So uh, that makes me yeah. sad a little bit. But- I, I'm, I'm curious how many normal people will just go into this not knowing anything about that and how they'll feel about it. Cause right. I do, I do want to hear from somebody who didn't know. Um, and I'm curious if there'll be people that just, they get out of it and still didn't know that it was all sure. one, uh, one, one, one yeah. take. My, my worry is that the only people who don't know that are also the people who are not on the internet. So we will never hear from yeah. them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. This is a movie that True. like, it seems to be a front runner for best picture, um, and best director possibly. And, I didn't particularly love this movie, but compared to like what could be winning Best Picture, it won't make me sad if this one wins. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, you know, is I think an important thing to note considering. Um, let's move. It could be worse is always the same. My number five is Joker, guys. My number five is Joker. So. <laughs> That's when I quit the podcast. Oh, that would be God. when I, I, I hang my hat. Um, All right, we've done it. We'll yeah, wrap it up. Great. That's it. <laughs> You'll never hear from us again. Goodbye. <laughs> Let's move on to what our actual number fives are. Um, <laughs> my number five, we've already talked about it a little bit, is A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. This was a movie that I expected to really like because 
I loved Can You For- Ever Forgive Me? And I adore Tom Hanks and, and Mr. Rogers. And it just <laughs> seemed, you know, like, oh, I have to see this. I'll really like it. Even with all of those, like, high expectations going in, I wasn't ready for how moving I found this film to be. Um, as, like, I think I've talked about before on the podcast, it's not really a film about Mr. Rogers. It's a film about a person who encounters the philosophy of Mr. Rogers and the per- and the person of Mr. Rogers and how that changes mm-hmm. that main character's whole world and way of living. Um, and it's another, it's not really billed as this, but it is also an intimate family drama, which again, I adore. And it's about forgiveness and inner peace and not in a like hippy dippy way in a true, like, will you let yourself have peace um, with the people who are surrounding you and with yourself Um, a way that like, rarely gets talked about. Um, And it's also about like masculinity and accepting your emotions and accepting um, yourself and letting yourself feel those emotions. Um, And that's another thing that we don't get a lot of movies about. We get a lot of movies about men who don't feel their emotions or men who are like um, feeling their emotions for the first time. But we don't get movies about men learning how to feel their emotions and like what good can come of that. You know what I mean? We don't get movies in the positive realm of that. We, we always get movies about these like tragic male figures and like what happens to them when they don't feel their emotions. And it's these like tragedies. We rarely get these. The danger of not feeling emotions instead of the joy of feeling yes. emotions. Yes. Yeah. And um, there are so many things about this movie like, I think I'm going to just echo what you said earlier, Lucas. Marielle Heller, like, she's a goddess. She, the the yep. decisions she makes with the, the way she frames this story are unexpected and impactful. And they throw you for a loop and then they wrap you in a hug. And I was so, so impressed with what she did with this movie. Because I couldn't have ever predicted some of the choices she made. And... Um, I just think they're genius. And I think if we had a different Academy voting body that like respected the emotional nature of her work, she would be a best director nominee this year because I think it's an incredible achievement. Um, I love this movie. I think it's one of the Hmm. easily, it's only my number five, but it was, I think very close to a perfect film. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't, have you got a chance to see this yet, Josh? No, I, I, so, a couple of things stopped me from seeing it. I was I was not super high on Saving Mr. Banks, which was the last time that Tom Hanks played. I guess which doesn't mean anything, but that that kind of turned me off on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And also, it came out so close to um, the doc. Won't you be my neighbor? Yeah. Which was so beautiful. I I was like, well, I'll just watch that again. Yeah. So I haven't I seen think, it, but hearing both of y'all gush about it like this has moved it very high up on my list. I think it's a perfect partner to the documentary because okay. the documentary is about 
who Mr. Rogers is and what his philosophy right. is. And then this movie is about a person who meets Mr. Rogers and how that philosophy can change that person's life. So Mr. Rogers is which, yeah, which I didn't very much a supporting the... character in this movie. Like he is not the main character in any shape or form. I'm much more interested yeah, in that. It's really good. And, and it's, yeah, they just, they pair very well together instead of one being a lesser or greater version of the other. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't grok that it wasn't actually about him centrally, right. I guess. Well, and the marketing, obviously, I don't think is giving that away because people are more interested in seeing a movie about Mr. Rogers than they are a journalist who met. <laughs> hey, come Mr. see a movie about some guy who met Fred Rogers. Right. yeah. It's an easy <laughs> yeah, sell. That's maybe not yeah. the best. Yeah. It's well, true. I hope you get a chance to see it. Um, Josh, what is your number five pick? Uh, my number five, speaking of echoing things Lucas said earlier, is The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Woo-woo! It's so good. I, I just, everything you said, yes, absolutely. I wrote down in my notes, this is the only movie that I wrote down notes about because I wanted specifically to say certain things. And like, the pacing is so good. It has such interesting questions about toxic masculinity and identity and family. And I mean, obviously gentrification, which is like, for sure happening in San Francisco, but also like most cities. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Seattle. I like, I have a lot of friends who are born in Seattle and being priced out. Now they're moving further South and North because of, you know, tech booms. I mean, and it's like, it's the same exact story the here. Biggest thing in Nashville. Like, I mean, that is yeah, it's happening the in Nashville story now too. of Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Nashville. I wouldn't be able to afford to move yeah. back. But, um, but uh, something you said, Lucas, is also something I wrote down, which is the best line in any movie written this year, I truly believe is you don't get to hate it unless you love it. That affected yep. me on such a deep level. I was sitting in the theater and, uh, and I heard that line and I, I just out loud went, whoa, <laughs> it's just like, it, yeah, it's just everything about it is so perfectly crafted. I cannot wait to see more. Yeah. What I mean. What a stunner. Just, and, and that is, that, what I also want to say about Last Black Man in San Francisco is that it's one of the films that I feel has had some of the best word of mouth of, like, the film community. Like, everyone who I've mm, talked mm-hmm. to that has seen it has nothing but good things to say about it. And just really, like, I hope many, many more people get to see it throughout the year. Oh, uh, no. Whose turn is it? Lucas, what is your number five of the year? Me. My number five is The Farewell. Um, I feel like, I mean, I'm going to say a lot of the things that Sandra already said about it, but I feel like a lot of, there's always a movie on my list that shows up usually about halfway through the year that's just incredibly my jam, and I know immediately that it's going to make it on the list, and this is the, that one. Um, this movie by... Lulu Wang, it, I think are, is what we're saying. What are we doing? Are yeah, we doing Lulu Wang? We're doing Lulu Wang? Okay. <laughs> stick with Lulu Wang. <laughs> we'll um, all be wrong together. Yes, it's truly magnificent. Um, I think it, it's touching and it's honest while being beautiful and just in the, one of the most like chaotic, colorful ways that I've seen. Like some of the the paintings and the, the color schemes that are going on and the, with the clothes that people are wearing, it's just this really ridiculous um, tonal clashes that just fit perfectly well together. Um, I think it's a beautiful movie. I think the shots are incredible. I want her to make a uh, $100 million movie now, and I just want to see what she does with that. I have terrible news. I decided I should look it up. <laughs> I looked it up, too. It's Wong. And I, it's Wong. <laughs> yeah. It's it's spelled oh, W-A-N-G. Guys. It's pronounced Wong. Um, so our apologies to Lulu Wong. Thank you for clarifying it on Twitter for people like us who don't know that 
right off the top of our heads. I'm gonna romanizing. I'm gonna re-edit other languages. It's always all problematic. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. It's important that we learn it and get it right because it's a name we're gonna be saying many times in the future because she's the so rest of our incredibly talented and exciting. I cannot wait to see more of her movies. 2022. Academy Award winner, Lulu yes. Wong. Cross your fingers. She's my biggest snub of this year. Yeah, yeah I mean, 100%. It really is. Um, okay, let's move on. And we're getting up to, like, okay, our top tier now. Like, for me at least, I will say, um, my top four movies are movies that, like, the minute I saw them, I was like, without a doubt, that is going to be in my top ten. Like, there, there's no way it's not in my top ten. Um, no. So... I, I don't know if y'all feel the same way about your top four, um, but I, that's how I feel. My number four is Parasite. Um, I know, oh, I know. Oh. Um, Parasite is what I would say. I would say it's, we've had this conversation before. We had it with Get Out, the year that Get Out came out, and I think it was my number four or five that year. Um, it's one of those movies where yeah. I can easily say, culturally, it is the best movie of the year. It is what I'm rooting for to win Best Picture. It is, in our country, the best movie of the year. It is not my personal best movie of the year because there were a few other movies that on a very deep, personal level, I related to more and hit me in all the right spots. Um, but just minus those very small factors, Parasite is like a perfect movie. It is thrilling and devastating and clever and funny and a visual stunner, um, and I can't stop thinking about it. And it's a movie that we, everyone that I t talk to that has seen it can't stop thinking about it, and the internet can't stop thinking about it because it, it is a story that means that much. Um, it's just amazing. I don't have a lot much else to say about it. We did a whole episode about it, so you can listen to all my thoughts on it there. But yeah, it's my number four of the year. So, um, Josh, what is your number four movie of the year? Yeah, I'm kind of the same boat. My my top four are basically interchangeable to me. Like, they can go in any order. Um, but I have chosen number four is Little Women. Um, Little Women uh, is such a good movie. I can't <laughs> stop talking about how good this movie is. Little Women is the first play I was ever in. Oh, baby Josh. Um, so, what did you play? So, I have a very complicated relationship with the story. <laughs> What character did you play? Uh, um, Hopefully I play Beth. The, I'm hoping Beth. The character that I... Yeah, I was Beth. Um, Y'all should have seen <laughs> me die. Um, <laughs> yeah, spoilers for a very old book, right? Sure. That's That's fine. Okay. Yeah. We're um, good. We're good. The book's 150 years old. Uh, it's like spoiling the Bible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, Jesus dies. Um, <laughs> but not at the end. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I played a character who's not in the movie, which is, like, one of the English cousins that they go to the park with. Oh! Um, there's, like, there's like yes. a, the scene that takes place on the beach, I think, is kind of, that is, that purpose yeah. is served by a, a park scene. And there are some English cousins of Lori's okay. who are in town. And I played one of the cousins. Got it. I had two lines. It was great. Um, so I have a very complicated relationship with that story <laughs> of, like, I heard the story at a time when I was not prepared to hear a story about young girls. How old were um, you? I was maybe fifth grade. Okay. I, yeah, probably probably about 12, 12 or 13. Um, a, a time when I was 
only watching spy movies. Um, but, but <laughs> over the years, like I've, I've grown very fond of that story and also I've grown very fond of Greta Gerwig. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's just Haven't we impossibly all? good at what she does. Um, and ev- everyone in it does such a good job of playing their characters. And I cried basically the entire time the movie was going. Um, and it, I think the way that it tells that story is so, so clever in the way that it's cut and the way that it's, you know, put together in this way. And it's just, I, I don't have a lot of like formulated thoughts because it's such a, it's such a pure, like emotional attachment to the movie. Yeah. Greta Gerwig, I think, um, I don't remember what the stat was, but she's one of like the very, like, there's only like, I would say three or three, between three and five directors who both of their first, their first two films were both nominated for best picture. Like, so, I mean, yeah. it, it is truly astounding what she's done so far. Um, yeah. Lucas. Um, we will talk about this. Yeah, we will. We sure will. <laughs> Lucas, what's your number four pick of the year? Um, I'm, I think I'm on a little different trail from you guys. My top three are all interchangeable. My number four is um, a step down, but it is Knives Out. I love this movie. I love Ryan Johnson. Um, this is the only movie on my list that I'm mad if you haven't, haven't actually seen it. Um, this, I've tried <laughs> to get absolutely everyone I've, I know to watch this movie. It's so much fun. I don't know anyone who's disliked it. <laughs> um, I am a tried and true murder mystery fan and Agatha Christie Stan in particular. Um, and I was so pumped about this movie and the fact that it has done well means we are probably going to get more of this type of movie coming out, which I'm a fan of. Um, Ryan Johnson has said that he's interested in doing a sequel, um, with Daniel Craig. I want that more than anything else in the world right now. (laughs) Um, it's beautiful. It's so funny. It's so smart and well done. Um, it's great. It's just a great film. It's also, I I just thought of this as you were talking that there are so few movies that come out nowadays that are like genuine crowd pleasers take everyone in your family to go see you know what i mean like yes yeah you could just like let's just all go to the movies and this is one of them they don't make them Mm -hmm. very often anymore and this is it let alone an original one right um and so yeah the, the rarity of it is also what makes it so so exciting and special yeah yep it's true all right, um, let's get in to our number three picks of the year. I get so excited when we get up here at the list. Um, my number three pick of the year is a movie that when I saw it, I thought was going to be my number one because I fell hard in love with it. And that is Booksmart. Booksmart was Whoa. made for me. I love this movie so much um it teen comedies is a genre that i don't think is usually valued incredibly highly in like cinema cinema circles you know and yet it's (laughs) such like an important genre for all of us because we all have been teenagers and we all know what that feeling is like and we all have like a teenager like deep down in our hearts that's still like feels the way a teenager feels and thinks the way a teenager thinks. And I love it as a genre. And this is one of like, I think the best entries into the genre. Um, It's incredibly funny, not just like 
oh, the movie's good and also makes you laugh. No, it is genuinely incredibly funny and so sweet to all of its characters in a way that like most teen movies don't get to be. This movie treats all of its characters with such kindness. Um, and I love that about it. And I, and this movie is a movie that I said when we reviewed it, I said, I wish when I was a teenager, I could have had this movie. And I feel so, and I think every teenager from here on now is so lucky to have it in their lives. Um, it, it blew me away. I loved, I loved, I loved, I loved Booksmart. Um, Josh, what is your number three movie of the year? My number three movie of the year is Booksmart, which is so wow, good. You guys. It's just so good. <laughs> it's again, I, I, I'm at a point in my life where I really like things to make me happy instead of sad. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of real stuff yeah, that's making that's, me sad. Y'all. Yes. It's pretty great yes, yes. to be happy. <laughs> And Booksmart, Booksmart <laughs> is that in spades. It's it's a beautiful story. It's legitimately hilarious constantly. It's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Um, but the thing that impresses me the most about it is that it is it is a story about being on the cusp of adulthood that can only could only have been fashioned by someone who is out of that. You know, yeah. Like the the way that this there the story is told without making anyone in in a high school a villain <laughs> because like everyone's just like a person doing their best right and like trying and you know th- that those stories don't get told there's always like the jocks or the bad guys and like or you know the it, there's always someone who is like an asshole mean and evil and that's just them told such an amazing story about teenagers without like removing anyone's experience from reality. There's some, there's <sighs> something. Um, so y'all have both seen Lady Bird, Lady Bird, right? and you know how like yep. Timothy Chalamet's character and Lady Bird is like a little bit of a dick, you know, he's a little bit of a dick, especially to like our main mm. character. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to an interview with Greta Gerwig when she was talking about that character and she was talking about how she was like, yeah, you know, and, and this character is kind of a dick, but he's also like a teenager and like teenagers don't aren't fully formed yet. And you still have to, you have to have a little bit of empathy for them, even when they're being dicks. And, and I appreciate a movie that like, yeah. like book smart that understands that like, Yes, sometimes teenagers are like dicks to each other and to other people, but like they're still te- they're still teens. Like they're they're not fully formed humans yet. And we have to like have some understanding for the fact that they're still figuring it all out even when they're being awful. And this movie like has all that empathy for every I think single character. I Oh, go for I, it. I was just say I think it just this movie goes to show what happens when we give female directors the reins to genres that they are not like it, not that they're like oh there are tons of women directors doing this one thing but like teen right. comedy is not <laughs> a genre typically reserved for female directors it, you know the the ladybirds the little women those are the things that we expect from female auteurs but it just shows how much variety you not can like get by the rated adding R new perspectives comedy. you know like We'll have like the clueless or the mean yeah. girls, but not like this hard R raucous um 
yeah, kind of experience. And I'm excited for, as we all get better at being humans, (laughs) to see, like, a a really excellent, like, auteur-driven uh, action movie directed by a Greta Gerwig or Olivia Wilde. Or, you know, I'm, I'm just very excited to see this kind of like, it's been a very good year for. Yeah, it really has. Women directors. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to, I was going to, I want to totally, talk about yeah. that once we have our whole list out there. Um, yeah. But I did not think that I was going to be the only person without book smart in their top 10. Um, let yeah. alone the top three. <laughs> um, I did really love this movie. I thought this movie was really great and it got better every time I watched it. Um, I think there's going to be scenes in here that people are going to be quoting forever. Um, like, like you said, Sandra, if you are a teen and you get this movie now, um, I envy you. <laughs> um, this is, it's, it's, it's really great. And I truly, the performances are fantastic. I think it is such an interesting yeah. movie. And it's, it's also, I just, mentions. I just realized like, this is like, this, these are, this isn't the first movie for either Beanie Feldstein or Caitlin Deaver, but I think we're going to look back on this as like the beginning of a grand career from both of them. Like they are going to be, I think they're both going to be For mega, sure. mega movie stars. And, um, and this is going to be the movie that we look back on as the start of it all. Yeah. Um, and so that's also just very exciting. Um, Lucas, what is your number three movie of the year? Well, Number three, as I said, my my top three are all interchangeable. I love all these movies just about equally. But my number three is Portrait <sighs> of a Lady on Fire. Um, yeah. This movie is so sparse. It's so, there's so little going on in this movie. Um, its story is so expertly told. Uh, there are backstories and locations that I felt like I was positive were in the movie. And then on my second watch, I realized they are mm-hmm. only left up to your imagination <laughs> and are basically skipped so deftly that you can tell it's entirely intentional. I, it's truly amazing how much they communicate with so little in this movie. Um, the four act like main women in this movie are great. Um, I think I'm going to butcher this name, but, um, Adele, uh, Hano, Hanel, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to look it up and see afterwards. (laughs) Um, she's care. (laughs) <laughs> Adele Dazim is charismatic. Um, she is such an enigma in this movie that really draws you into the mystery of her character along with um, the main character in this movie. Um, I think this movie is beautiful. I think it is super smart. And I cannot wait to see other movies by this director because she's directed some other ones and now I need to go back and watch Lucas, them. did you ever get a chance to go and see BPM? It was a French film that I had put on the top of my list um, in 2017. I never, I, no, no, I did so, not get to so see that. So that actress, Adele Hanel, um, she is in BPM and she's very good in it. She's not a main, the main character, but she's very, very good. Um, okay. Yeah. And Alrighty. it's so interesting because you see that. it's a, I mean, not surprisingly, but it's a very different character than this movie. Um, like you said, this movie is very sparse and there's not like a ton of dialogue. And in BPM, she plays like a very outgoing, like loud character. Um, it's fun to just see, see the turn. Um, but yeah, ah. I, I'm so glad that this movie is rated so high for you, Lucas, because I, I, it's one of those movies that I think is only as low on my list because I've only seen it once so far. And 
as soon as I see it again, it's probably going to yeah. bump up. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Let's move on to the good stuff. Number two. Number two. My number two movie of the year is Marriage Story. Now, when I saw Booksmart, I thought, well, this is easily going to be my number one movie of the year, just like hands down. And then I saw Marriage Story, and I thought, well, this is easily going to be my number one movie of the year. And it's not. It's my number two, um, but it's a very close number two. It Man, this movie really uses up every second it's given um, and makes the most of it. Every line of dialogue, every single physical movement by every actor is telling you something about the story and the character and the relationships that we're witnessing. Um, it's so great to have a text that's so rich. Um, Adam Driver is like the actor of our generation, I think. Um, he's a talent that I've always known he was amazing and one of my favorite actors, but after seeing him in this, it's like, just unquestionable how good he is and how good his career will be. Um, someone on Twitter recently asked, like, mm. what's your favorite Adam Driver performance and what's his best Adam Driver? What's the best Adam Driver performance? Um, and <laughs> I answered that with my favorite is certain episodes of Girls, but this I think is his best in a very a career of incredible performances. And I love that this movie similarly to book smart has so much empathy for its main character for its characters. Um, there's also been a lot of chatter about whose side are you on? And, and this movie does a really good job at, at the movie doesn't take a side. Um, uh, and that they both do things that are incredibly wrong and they both are trying so hard to do it right. Um, and I love watching people that are trying so hard to be good and do the best they can e e fail because this circumstance that they're in is so toxic and horrible. Um, it's it's an amazing thing to witness. And I, I adore Marriage Story. Yeah. Josh, you need to see Marriage Story. You just got to you got to bump it up on your list. <laughs> I yeah. guess. You need to see Marriage Story. <laughs> I've been I've been quietly taking notes on all yeah. the stuff y'all have liked that um, I haven't seen. <laughs> And and so. I should also say I am I like Noah Baumbach, but I am not like someone who likes everything he makes. You know what I mean? Like I'm not dedicated to him. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And this was I just think like one of his masterpieces. Like it's I think one of his best works. One of the, of the things that I've seen of him, it's one of the best, and um, it makes me much more excited for him as his his career because even though it's going so well. Um, I wonder how making a film like this will change him as a filmmaker, you know, for the better, I hope. So, yeah, yeah. big, mm -hmm. big fan yeah. of Marriage Story. Um, Josh, what is your number two movie of the year? My second favorite movie of the year mm. is The Farewell, uh, directed by Lulu Wong. Uh, it's very, very <laughs> good. It's just I don't there's not much else to be said about it that hasn't already been said. Um, I've always liked Aquafina. I think she's hilarious. Man, she does a really excellent job of not being hilarious yeah. at times during this movie. <laughs> yeah. She's also very funny in the movie. But um, both her and the the grandmother, I've heard very little about, like, 
oh, this person was excellent. I don't, I don't know what her name, I can't remember her name. She was fabulous in this movie. And yeah, I just, I don't have anything new to say about it, but I desperately want to talk about it constantly. I find that this movie is a hard movie for me to describe like what I like about it so much. Um, but it's a movie that like, as I'm watching it, I feel so deeply how good it is. I was, I texted, um, my, my girlfriend right after I finished watching the farewell and, and I was like, I, I don't believe in award shows. I, I hate them. I think they shouldn't exist. Um, but I, I texted, I was, I was like, you know how I feel about the Oscars, but also if Aquafina doesn't win an Oscar, <laughs> I'll be furious. <laughs> Those things are both sitting in my yeah. mind um, at the same time. I just now. looked it up. The, the. Actress yeah. that played the grandmother. Her name is Zhao Shuzen, um, and she's yeah, she's okay, amazing. Thank you. This whole the whole ensemble is very very good. Like you, I think when yeah. you see maybe a promotion for this movie, you think it's just gonna be Aquafina and like just like every it's the perform the movie's gonna revolve around her because she's like the one big name that we know. Um, but it's a really great ensemble piece. So yeah, that's another thing. There's specifically there's specifically one scene um, with with her and the the cousin who's getting married um, that just breaks me every time I even think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Man. What a good movie. It's just so um, well done. Lucas, what is your number two movie of the year? Well, my number two movie of the year is a movie that I'm sure we're gonna talk about again. Um, Little Women. <laughs> um, I think Greta Gerwig is one of the best writers that is writing right now. Um, I think, um, what is her previous movie? Lady Bird. I think Lady Bird is a truly epic movie. And I think the way she adapted Little Women is, um, one of the most magical pieces of writing that I've seen. I talked on the last episode about how much I love Little Women, my relationship with the book, um, how I've seen a lot of the adaptations in the past, um, I think the way she has taken this truly shows how much she loves not only this book, but Louise May Alcott as a whole. Um, I, it's, it's so good. All the performances are great. I'm so glad Florence Pugh is in the conversation. Um, continuing forward. Um, Saoirse Ronan is a genius. I'm happy that she also got nominated. There's just so much about this movie that I love and I want everybody to see it and I want to keep talking yeah. about it forever. Um, well, I mean, th- I think it's pretty clear that Little Woman is like my number one movie of the year. So let's just dive what? Yeah, yeah. right into that. <laughs> dive right in. Um, yeah, Little Woman is my number one movie of the year. I was sure it would be Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie is hands down, no questions asked, a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece in every meaning of the word. Yeah. Um, I made a list of my favorite movies of the decade. Um, and this movie, I, I'm trying to remember how I ranked it. I think it was like in the, the low teens, like the 15 or something like that. Um, and I think I only rated yeah. it that low because I had just seen it like a day or two before I made that list. Um, I think if I were to make that list again in a year or two, it would be much higher up. Um, it's one of the best movies of the decade. It is a movie. It's the only movie on my list that I know I will be rewatching this movie for decades. Like I will be rewatching this movie maybe every Christmas time. Um, I will be showing this movie to my kids if I ever have kids. 
Um, I think it will stand the test of time as like a great work um, in the way that only like certain family and holiday movies can, you know what I mean? And I'm not resigning it to just a Christmas movie. I think it's more than that, but it's like those great Christmas movies in that they stand the test of time. Um, and I think that this movie will do that. Um, like you mentioned, Saoirse Ronan, I think she is the Meryl Streep of our generation. She, um, I think this is only the beginning of a film career that is going to blow us all out of the water. When I said, when I said earlier that Adam Driver was yep. like the actor of our generation, I think Saoirse Rona, Ronan is the actress. Like, I, I don't know anyone that compares to her and her and her trajectory so far. Um, she already has a career much better than twice. Oh, yeah. People twice her age. She's, I think, 24 or 25. And she has, oh, yeah. I think, four or five Best Actress nominations. Like, she is... <laughs> she's amazing. And, and those are, like, deserved Best Actress nominations, too. You know, like, sometimes there are some where you're like, eh, yeah. I don't know if they really should have gotten that nomination. She earns hers for sure. Um, this movie is magical and meaningful and it's about family and love. And similarly to like Booksmart, like I mentioned earlier, it's a movie that like has empathy for every single character on the screen. Um, and I don't think that a film has to have that for it to be good because I don't know that every character deserves empathy, but when it does, I think it holds a special, special place in my heart. And this movie, um, I never taken in any little women material before seeing this film. And, um, it was just like so much for me to behold all at once. Um, yeah, I know it was a lot. Oh my God made a major major impact on me um i've seen it twice i told someone they were asking if they wanted to go see a movie this weekend i was like well i definitely go see little women again like i don't know that it's a movie i'll ever get tired of watching um, <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's it's just like i said when yeah. i saw Booksmart, i thought it was for sure my number one and then i saw marriage story and then i saw little women and i was like well that's just silly i mean little women is not only the best of the year, it's it's one of the best I've seen in a long time. So, yeah, Little Women is really my number one. Um, I'm going to quit gushing about it uh, and ask you, Josh, what is your number one movie of the year? Uh, my number one movie of the year is Parasite. Um, yeah, Parasite is just such a perfect movie. It It is so strangely constructed, um, but to great end. People, I keep, ever since I've seen Parasite, I keep telling people they have to see it. And they'll ask, what kind of movie is it? And I truly don't know how to answer that. It's like, it's like a comedy until it's very much not a comedy anymore. Um, yeah. And it's like, it's very, very calm and lighthearted until it's the darkest thing you'll see all year. And it's, <laughs> it's just, it's beautiful. The way it's constructed, what it's saying about society, um, the way that it is like, pointing out um, specifically the way uh, Western culture is infecting the entire world at this point. And, and the, the way that it, it, there's a, the way it's shot, <laughs> there's a montage in this movie um, where the, with the peaches that is just so meticulous and it, 
cuts back and forth in between the planning and the execution and the fallout. And it's like, it's like a ballet of visuals and the voiceover and everything coming together to tell this like very quick version of a story we've already seen happen three times. You know, we don't have to spend all of that narrative momentum again because we've built up this internal film language that we can now use in a really beautiful sequence. It's just, it's masterfully done. Um, When I was talking about this movie earlier, I forgot that part of what I love so much about it is that like, is the heist of it all. And it's more than just a heist movie, but I really love a heist movie. And this is a, has a great heist sequence, (laughs) Um, multiple great heist sequences. And yeah, I mean, that's part of what makes this movie like such a blockbuster hit, I think, in addition to being like amazing piece of cinema. Um, Lucas, do you want to round us out with your number one movie of the year? Yeah, I'll be boring. Um, this is also my number one movie of the year. Parasite is perfect. Um, <laughs> it is like 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 everybody said. It is it defies genre. It is a comedy. It is a heist movie. It is a tragedy. It is a, a you know a social drama. Um, it is a thriller. Um, it is truly um, my aesthetic. In like like the visuals of this movie is perfect. Um, it's everything that I want out of a movie. Um, that yeah. I want the house. That house is what I would build for myself. It is perfect. I think you um, may have taken the wrong I things think... away from the house. <laughs> <laughs> I want the knives out house. True. Can I? I'll, you take parasite. Oh I'll my god. Perfect, perfect. What's everybody's house that they want from the movies this year? <laughs> I want I want Lori's house from Little Women. Oh, there you go. <laughs> or okay, the house in Last Black Man of San Francisco. I mean, oh, also a good house. Uh, this is a good year for houses. Yeah. Good house movies. Um, sometimes I watch movies and I think, how can someone create this? Um, I think like as far as like artistic writing goes and just cleverness, um, I I think like something like this is an impossibility um, to make. And Bong Joon-ho's direction and um, everything about this continues to surprise me. The more I've watched this, the more um, I've come away with new things and been impressed by new things. Um, Everything about this movie is truly transcendent. And like Sandra said about Little Women, like this is on the best of the decade. I will continue to watch this forever. Um, I absolutely love this movie. It and Little Women this year are just right there neck and neck for me um, as two of the best movies that I've seen in f- truly a long time. And uh, I love it. Yeah, I mean... What a good, good year! The good of this year was really good. I, I, I definitely... Yes, yes. I don't think in general all of the movies this year were better than previous years, but I think the top, like... Like, honestly, like my top four movies this year um, are better than, I think most of the movies that, that that have come out in the last decade. almost all of my top 10 are legitimately vying for places in my top 10 of all time yeah um yeah. speaking of of the decade did either of yeah. y'all make top 10 of the decade lists or, or any kind of top of the decade list i you i did? did make a, a top 10 of the decade well can i list. i did um, i haven't like put it anywhere debuting or it here? Like that, but i have one <laughs> I will debut you it here. You just list off. What are your top 10 movies of the decade, Lucas? Actually, I'm looking now. Okay. It's 20. Right. I, I do have 20. Okay. Um, but I'll just, I'll just do the top 10. Um, the top 10 is, number 10 is About Time. 
Um, number Ooh. nine. Wow. I love about it's a great time. movie. It's I love I it. I do too. It's, I love it. Nice. Twenty seven. Um, number nine is Get Out. <laughs> um, number eight is Moonlight. Number seven is The Handmaiden. Um, number six is Short Term Twelve. Number five is Inside Out. Number four is Columbus. Number three is Inception. Number two is The Social Network. And number one is Mad Max Fury Road. Wow. I was, I'm really surprised to hear about Inside Out making that list. Um, I didn't realize that you held that in such high esteem. Uh, Inside Out was, I think, my number one film of that year. And I do think it is, it's at a level for Pixar that it hasn't hit. Um, I think ever, huh. I think, I don't think it's necessarily everybody's favorite movie, but I think it is at a quality level that has not been surpassed by Pixar, at least in a very long time. Yeah. And I, I truly think it is, it is the, especially like little kids, like inside out is the Pixar movie. Yeah. Um, above all, above all else. Like it's truly amazing. Josh, did you put together anything like this? I, so I don't have a top 10 of the decade, but I did. I, I'm an insane person, so I have a, a, my top five of every year since I was born. Wow. Um, yeah, so I can tell you my yeah, favorite let's movie go ahead and hear that. decade. <laughs> okay, 2010 is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Uh, but there are like sure. four other movies that are basically yep. in line with it. Um, 2011 is The Muppets. 2012 was The Master. Yes. 2013 is About Time. Woo-woo. 2014 was Birdman. 2015 is Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, 2016 was Swiss Army Man. 2017 is Thor mm. Ragnarok. Uh, 2018, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And 2019 is Parasite. Nice. Okay, so my top 10 of the decade is number 10 is Moonlight. Number 9 is Call Me By Your Name. Number 8 is Columbus. Number 7 is Gone Girl. Number 6 is Obvious Child. Number 5 is Short Term 12. Number four is Spotlight. Number three is Never Let Me Go. Number two is The Handmaiden. And number one is The Social Network. Nice. Really? Uh, really? Yes, really. Uh, yeah. Um, but but if anyone's interested, on Twitter and on Letterboxd, I ranked my top 50 films of the decade. So if you want to see a, a, a little bit of a broader picture of what I think the best of the decade looks like, you can go there. Um, I have Little Women as number 18 on that list. Um, but I think maybe that'll get bumped up in years to come. Um, yeah. Let's also, do we all want to like say any honorable mentions that we have for this year before we move on to some of our other categories? Sure. <laughs> um, some of my honorable mentions are Jojo Rabbit, um, Wild Rose, Ash is Purest White, which is a excellent, excellent Chinese movie. Um, and Pain and Glory. I still need to see Pain and Glory. Is Pain and Glory a queer movie, Lucas? Yeah. Or is that a spoiler? Yeah, have you not seen... Yeah. No, no, it's not a spoiler. Have you seen the trailer? I have, and the trailer is not very clear on oh. that topic. It would have oh. gotten me in the theater yeah, yeah. a little bit faster if it had been a little oh. bit clearer <laughs> on that issue. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> it's not It's not like a... Um, it's not about... I don't know. It's it, it's, it's, it's not like a... It's not, it's just an aspect yeah. of the film. Yeah, it's not I'm like a saying. one color I, on the palette. The palace. trailer didn't make it that clear. Um, no, did it not? Not at all. I'll, I'll have to rewatch the trailer. I don't. I not like, like it's not specifically. Like it. There's a shot of like okay. him like holding a man's face and crying, but like that could be anything, you know? I don't know. True. So yeah, 
Anyway, huh. just, I'll, yeah, I'll have to just something that I needed to confirm with someone. Uh, yeah, yeah, you should you should watch that yeah, movie. <laughs> I, I definitely did want to watch it either way. It was just, you know, one of those things. Um, Josh, what yeah, are some yeah. of your honorable mentions? So I had two Marvel movies on my honorable mentions, Endgame and Far From Home, both made my <laughs> yeah. honorable mention list. Um, and then I also had Rocket Man, Between Two Ferns, uh, missing link and fighting with my family. Oh, I need to see fighting with my family. It's so good. Yeah. So some of my honorable mentions, these are all movies that I found incredibly interesting and innovative, but part of like why they're so innovative also means that they have like some flaws. You know what I mean? That like, uh, they, they, there's, there's, they're very yeah. daring, which also means that they, um, don't meet every, expectation i might have had for them um so those are yeah. so this is my like number 11 through 15 essentially um waves the last black man in san francisco under the silver lake her smell and the lighthouse um all movies i loved seeing and was very moved by but um they just try so many new things that like you can't win them all kind of thing um yep. yeah um just so that any of our listeners know and so that you two know Last year, I did this project where I ranked all of the new releases that I saw. Um, and I decided to do that again this year. So I saw 60 movies and I ranked them all. Um, of course, that's the ranking that is ever changing. But this is you know what I'm saving it as today. Um, and I have that saved on my letterbox. So if anyone is interested in seeing that, they can go to my letterbox and it's 2019 movies ranked is what my list is called. <sighs> Um, I just pulled nice. my letterbox app out of the folder it was in and put it directly on my home screen because otherwise I don't remember oh, to it use it. It is my, it is on my front page home screen. I use it constantly. Um, Same. Yeah. That has become like one of the most important social networking apps for me. Um, I, God bless letterboxd. Um, <laughs> let's move on to some of our other categories that we talk about. Um, a question that I have is, there were only nine movies nominated for Best Picture this year, rather than the ten that could be nominated, which always, I think, is so silly. Like, why only nominate nine when you can nominate ten? What's, why hold back, you know? Um, anyway, what movie would y'all nominate for the remaining spot? Um, Lucas. So for me, my top two movies are nominated for Best Picture, which one I think is insane. I don't think that's ever happened before. I know. Um, but I I think my, my number three is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, but I think as far as this question goes, I'm thinking of movies that are um, – that are like in the public public conscious that I that I feel like should um, kind of get out there feel to like best kind of compete nominees. on that level. Yeah. Exactly. And so for me, that would be Knives Out. I would want Knives Out to be added to that conversation. It's already nominated for Best Screenplay. Let's get a Best Picture nomination in there as well. Yeah. What about you, Josh? Uh, I, yeah. I have to do The Farewell. Yep. Yep. And The Farewell is just such a masterpiece for it not to be recognized. I think the Academy does uh, a bad job of admitting that um, movies made in other countries are kind of bad <laughs> movies. Yeah. Um, and I would like to see that change because it turns out oh, there's a lot of other countries making movies that are a lot better than ours. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I think my quote of the year is when Bong Joon-ho yes. refers yes. to the Oscars as a local award show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that man gives me life. He's so, He's so great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, for me, I would pick A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Um, 
just in that I love Knives Out and but for me a beautiful day in the neighborhood feels like a best picture nominee you know Mm -hmm. it's a big biopic it stars Tom Hanks it's an incredible film like it's silly that it's not nominated yeah. in my opinion they've, they've, um, they're gonna nominate her think, sometime they've got to <laughs> i mean it really it feels Ugh. almost personal that it yeah. was it, like it really does kind of feel like they don't value her genius right for some for some reason i wonder what it could be yeah um <laughs> so yeah so that would be that would be my pick um i do want to point out i'm looking at all of our lists and we had a lot of a lot in common in all of our top tens. Um, Little Women, Parasite, The Farewell, and Knives Out are on all three of our lists. Yeah. Nice. And Lucas, you and I um, have eight movies that are the wow. same on our lists. Wow. Yeah. You and I have two movies each that are like not on each other's lists. Yours are um, Uncut Man. Gems. And the last black man in San Francisco. Oh no! Wait, you have three. Never mind. We have seven. Um, and nineteen seventeen. And mine are Hustlers, oh, yeah. Avengers Endgame, and Booksmart. So yeah, seven yeah. out of ten. I. How do you feel about this year for women? Minus the Oscars. <laughs> the Oscars, sure. obviously the award show, not doing well in that. Right. But as far as women in film, well, I, I was looking at my list and five of the movies on my top ten were written by women and four of them were directed by women, um, which I think is probably a record. Which one <laughs> for, was written but not directed? So, uh, 1917. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, this year, I mean, six of the films on my list were directed by women um, and... That's like I think probably a record high for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a great because this movie was such a great year for female directors is what made the whole Oscars thing sting so much. Right. Because right. You know, it's it's one thing when you have one movie that you love that was directed by a woman and it doesn't get nominated. It's another thing when you have six. Like yeah, <laughs> that makes it really hard to ignore. Um, but yeah, I I think it was a great year for female directors it was a great year for debut directors um mm-hmm. um and then but interestingly enough i also think that the reason lucas you and i's list in particular are feel so similar and there's not as much variety is because while i feel like the the good movies were great this wasn't a great movie year as on a whole yeah um yeah i i would look especially making that best movies of the decade list. Um, I got to see like what years were really low for me and what years were very high. And a, mm-hmm. for me particularly, a high year was 2017. Like there were so many movies that year that like blew me away and that I continue to think are incredible. Um, so I'm still, I think riding the, the wave down from 2017, even though yeah. this movie might not have been that bad. It just doesn't measure up to what a great year 2017 was for me. In far, as far I as agree. Go. I think in the past there have been years with really great blockbusters, even if they aren't like the best films or anything like that. Sure. But this year I really do feel like minus Avengers right. <laughs> and the, I mean, minus Marvel in general, a lot of the blockbusters, a lot of the blockbusters were pretty bad. Yeah. Um, so I, it's just ugh, like looking at, at how they all did, it was not a great year for blockbusters. Right. 
Yeah, Josh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I I'd agree with that. I think there were there was a mu- much more bloat in the middle of movies this year. I don't think there were a ton of movies that I saw that were bad, but there were like a lot of movies that were just yeah. fine. Yeah, right. Like a lot right. of movies were just yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's all I need. But like, yeah, now that you now that you said that, I'm I've gone back and like looked at previous years, like. Yeah, 2017 was a great year. 2015 was an amazing year. Like, we had three or four in a row there that were just like, there are a lot of really excellent movies yeah. coming out. There's a I big mean, yeah. difference between yeah. someone asking, like, did you see this movie? And me saying, oh, yeah, I liked it, versus I'm excited to tell people to go see this movie. And I think that was, like, the chasm for yeah. me this year, was I liked a lot of movies I saw, yeah. but I wasn't excited enough about a lot of them to tell people to go see them. Right. I think, yeah, I think less, like, terrible movies and more just, like, disappointing movies. Yeah. Well, speaking of, um, we have a category when we do this podcast episode every year called What is Your Most Disappointing Movie of 2019? So, Lucas, what is your most disappointing movie? My most disappointing movie of 2019 is Yesterday. Um, written by Richard Curtis, directed by Danny Boyle, about a singer-songwriter, singing the Beatles songs like this. You couldn't be more up my alley. Like all of these things are perfect for me and it really didn't hit. It was really not a good movie. It was pretty boring and, um, and just didn't go the places that I wanted it to. And I feel like fell off the radar pretty quickly, but I was pumped beyond compare for this movie and it did not hit. Yeah. That was one that I liked it, but it could have been amazing and it, and it wasn't amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't have any problems yeah. with it other than it just wasn't amazing. Yeah. Um, Josh, what was your most disappointing movie of 2019? I actually went back and re-listened to an episode of y'all's show but in preparation <laughs> for this um, <laughs> because I wanted to know what y'all thought about it. Um, but my most disappointing movie of 2019 was uh, Rise of Sky. Uh, right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't want to spend 30 minutes talking about no. it. No. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just almost everything about the movie um, – is a failure. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's just it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Um, it it changes the importance of main characters, um, both both Rose and Darth Vader. <laughs> like, um, I I think the the way that I have been encapsulating it is there's a there's a line in the movie um, where Poe Dameron says somehow Emperor Palpatine <laughs> has returned. <laughs> And that I think is very indicative of the level of scripting yeah. that went into yeah. this movie. <laughs> yeah. Like we don't bother to learn why or how, or, you know, it's, and no one questions it at all. Um, yeah. It, it just walks back a lot of the like interesting things that have happened in the series. Um, and it just, it ultimately felt like an apology to the worst sections of fandom uh, more than it felt like a conclusion to the series. Well, y'all know, I love that movie. So <laughs> but but I, I recognize every a lot of the critiques of it. Um, I fully recognize. Like I don't. I'm not. I wouldn't argue with most of them. Other than like I just had a great time. You know, Lucas. I think you really held back. Um, in our episode. Like I think maybe my love <laughs> overpowered the episode. So I feel. I apologize if you felt silenced at all. Uh, oh no no no. no. I d- definitely Lucas, not. do you want to do a supplemental episode <laughs> yeah, for a yeah, different yeah. podcast about how bad Star Wars was? No, it, for me, it was it was more like I don't 
care about this movie yeah. at all. <laughs> like, like it, like it sucked out all the energy of of um, of Star Wars for me watching that movie. I, I I don't think it was like the worst movie in the world, but I do think I got out of it and I was like, all right, well, thanks, JJ. Yeah. Right. <laughs> think the reason it was so disappointing for me is I I've spent most of the thirty one years I've been alive, um thinking of you know my connection to star wars as a story as like a large part of my personality and like a lot of why i behave and am the way i am is because of like things Oof. i learned from the original trilogy um and so to to not not only it's like to have a disappointing movie because like i went through the prequels i remember that it, it was not yeah. this bad um i mean they were much yeah. worse than this movie but <laughs> the feeling was not as bad because there's a sense of finality to this where it's like and we're going to end it by yeah. Well, there was also a sense of hope, like, because uh, Last yeah. Jedi was so good, you know, like, our our, our hopes yeah. were high. Um, right. But for I think I think for me, though, like, most of the Star Wars movies are bad. I think the majority of the Star Wars movies that we've gotten are bad movies. So I don't think I was as disappointed as I could. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, okay, so my most disappointing movie of 2019 was late night the the movie that Mindy Kaling wrote uh yeah um that is a movie that had so much potential you know it's a movie starring Mindy Kaling and Emma Thompson about late night comedy and and it also promised like some romance and and I was like these are all the things I love and I love Mindy Kaling and Emma Thompson and them like combining forces it could have been like a stunner like that would when you hear that that movie's getting made, you think like, oh, I think that could go in my top 10 of the year if it's what it could be, you know? Um, and then it was just fine. There was, it wasn't interesting enough to be bad, but it wasn't good enough that I would recommend it to anyone. Um, and that, that, that was a bummer. Yeah. Did either of y'all see that? Yeah. It's funny. Cause when I saw that, I loved it. I absolutely adored it. And the the longer I got away from it, the more I decided, like, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Like, it was surprisingly good, cliched. But... <laughs> um, yeah. In a way that, yeah. like, I just, I expect so much more from both Mindy Kaling and Emma Thompson. As writers and as creators. Yeah. Um, okay. But on a more positive note... Our other category is what is your most surprisingly enjoyable movie of 2019? And we say enjoyable. It doesn't mean the movie has to be enjoyable. More that you're surprised that you liked it as much as you did. Um, uh, Lucas, what is your surprisingly enjoyable movie? Uh, for me, it was Gemini Man. Oh. I did not expect to go into that movie um, really liking it. And I still don't think it's a good movie, but I had so much fun in that movie, way more than I thought I was going to. Um, and so coming out of it, I was like, man, I, I I liked that. That was a lot of fun, and I would watch it again. Interesting. I saw that movie. I didn't really have many expectations hmm. of it. Um and I left it thinking, like, that movie wasn't good, but Will Smith is so great that, like, he made it worth it, you know? Um, it, it's almost impossible right. not to enjoy watching and Will then, Smith do a movie. And then, later on, I heard the hosts of the Blank Check podcast talking about the, the symbolism of that movie when you think of it in terms of, like, Will Smith's career, especially, like, his relationship as a father with his, like, son, with Jaden Smith. And it made me, like, think of that movie in a whole new perspective that made me like it a lot more. So, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. Um, 
Josh, what is your most surprisingly enjoyable movie of 2019? Uh, my most surprisingly enjoyable movie of 2019 was Fighting With My Family. Um, not because I wasn't surprised that I enjoyed it, but because when it was over, I was surprised that I thought other people oh, who yeah. weren't wrestling fans would also like it. <laughs> I expected to go into, because I've been watching wrestling most of my life. Um, and the page, uh, Soraya Bevis, who the um, movie is about, was one of my favorite wrestlers before she retired. Um, so I went into it knowing I would have fun, even if it was a bad movie. Uh, cause it's like about people that I like, I like and wa- watch and all this stuff. And then it was like a very good movie, which is not a thing that you usually get to apply to movies, um, produced by yeah. WWE. Um, it was just such a delight and it was, um, it has such heart to it. Um, and it's funny. And it has really interesting um, turns in it that you don't expect coming where it kind of um, it supplants your suppositions with with new ideas in some really interesting ways. I just had so much fun with it. Uh, and I was excited that I got to be like other people. Other people should see it. Yeah, too. Did Stephen Merchant direct that? Uh, he wrote it. I don't think he yeah. directed it. But um, I, I may be I'm, wrong. Um, I'm wondering... Um, yeah, no, he did direct it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm oh, excited to it, see yeah. it. Um, he, it's exciting for him to have like directed a movie that you think so highly of. So yeah, I'm looking forward to watching fighting with my family. It's, it's one of, one of those movies that now that like, now that I'm done seeing a lot of movies in theaters, like it'll be a good movie to like pop on at home with a bunch of friends, you know? Yeah, but it has a sure. killer cast for what it is too. Nick Frost and Lena Headey and Florence Pugh. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. Florence Pugh. Let's get it. Let's complete the Just cycle. Much, much um, better than a wrestling movie deserves to be. Sure. Uh, my most surprisingly enjoyable movie was The Lighthouse. Uh, I already kind of touched on this earlier in the episode, but I thought it was going to be like painful or torturous to watch based on that trailer. And instead, it was, like, mythical and mesmerizing in a way that I totally didn't expect. Um, I I loved all the themes of it. I loved the humor. I loved the performances. Um, it's, yeah, I could, it was a movie I would have never picked to watch, and I'm glad that I did. Um, okay, last category that we have. This is probably my favorite category that we talk about at the end of this episode. It's what movie in 2020 um, are you most anticipating, most excited about? Uh, I love this category because I love checking in on it a year later and seeing like how those movies like added up for us. Um, like this year, we did really well. Knives Out turned out to be a great movie. Uh, we did. Um, I love us predicting and, and crossing our fingers for the year to come. Um, Lucas, what is your most anticipated movie? I would love it if you went first on this one. I'm very okay, curious let's, let's to hear what you have to say. Josh, what is your, what is your okay. most Oh, no, I hate this. <laughs> I was, I have a, I have a short list and I was going to choose okay, what I said first. based on what I y'all mind. said. Yeah, it's very this was hard. The hardest I'm going to go me. first and I'm going to say what mine is. But then after we've all said ours, I have like five others I just want to list off that I'm also very excited about. Same. Okay. Yes. All right. So my most anticipated movie is called, now I will say this movie is set to come out in 2020, but there's not like a date yet. So I'm crossing my fingers that it actually comes out in 2020. Um, And it's called After Yang. It is 
the second movie mm. from Koganada last uh, in 2017. Yep. Koganada um direct was his directorial debut was Columbus, which was both Lucas and I's favorite movie of that year. Um I was really, really moved, blown away by that movie. It made my top 10 of the decade. And this is his second movie. And I just like am so incredibly excited for it. It stars Colin Farrell and Jodie Turner-Smith as um, it's sort of a sci-fi indie film. Um, They play a couple struggling to deal with the deterioration of the robot they purchased to both care for their adopted daughter and teach her about her Chinese heritage. Um, Another description of this movie says, after Yang centers on a father and daughter as they try to save the life of their robotic family member, Yang, in a world where robotic children are purchased as live-in babysitters. In the story, Yang has been programmed to help his little sister learn about her cultural, cultural heritage. Um, I, as a, probably one of my favorite genres, I've always called it tech-affected romance. Um, and I'm going to expand that to be not just romance, but, like, drama in itself that's, like, kind of sci-fi, but the point isn't that it's a sci-fi film. The point is that it's a drama in a slightly sci-fi universe. Um, I think of movies like Her and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, there's a movie called Operator that came out recently that not a lot of people saw that I really liked. This movie sounds like it fits in perfectly into that category. And, um, it's based off of a short story, um, in a book called, I think it's called Children of a New Age or something like that. It's by Alex Weinstein. And after learning about this book, I'm immediately going to go read it because it's basically like, um, a Black Mirror book of short stories, but with more of a drama turn than I think a lot of the Black Mirror episodes have. It sounds fascinating. I'm excited to read it. And this story sounds fascinating, and I love Koganada. So I'm excited about After Yang. Okay, I talked a lot. Lucas, you can go next. What is your most anticipated movie of the year? Okay, I was curious if you if you would pick that one. Um, it is high on my list, but it is not my most anticipated movie. I was wondering uh, my if most... we were going to do do the same pick again yes. like we did last year. Yes. Yeah. This year we have different ones. For me, it is, I mean, I talked about how much I love Inside Out. Um, and this year I'm picking Soul, um, wow. Pixar's next movie. Um, I, I mean, everybody knows how I feel about music movies. <laughs> and this is about a musician who has lost his passion for music and is pr- transported out of his body um, and must find his way back with the help of an infant soul learning about herself. Um, starring Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey. I feel like this movie is right up my alley. I love me some Pixar. I love me some musicians. I cannot wait for this movie. Great choice. Um, Josh, what is your most anticipated movie? After a lot of deliberation, uh, I think my most anticipated movie is Dune. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have loved that book since I was a child. And a lot of really talented filmmakers have tried and utterly failed to adapt it. Um, but I feel good about this one, y'all. <laughs> uh, the, the cast is excellent. Um, Timothy Chalamet uh, is, you know, playing the Colin McLaughlin role of uh, Paul Atreides. And it, it's just, it looks... Oscar Isaac. Uh, yeah, Oscar Isaac is in it. Um, uh, Charlotte uh, Rampling and, um, oh, someone else who... I was just, I was literally just looking at this cast list and it all vacated my brain. 
Um, but yeah, directed by um, oh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Denny Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. Um, it, it just it it has the setup to finally make good on the promise of what that story could be on screen. Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård. Oof. Yeah. This was on, this was on my short list as well. Like same. Yeah. After Arrival, like I I will watch everything that he makes. Like mm-hmm. this this movie yes. seems incredible. And 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 I'll watch almost any movie that Timothy Chalamet is in to be real. And so um <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see this movie. Lucas, do you have any short runners that you want to list off? Yes, Last Night in Soho, Edgar Edgar Wright's mm-hmm. um new movie. Oh, um, I don't know Tenet. about this one. Um, is the Edgar Wright one? Wait, last night in yeah, Soho. Edgar Wright psychological oh. thriller. Who do we know anyone I, in it? Yes. Oh yes. Uh, Anya Taylor Joy, um, oh, nice. one of my favorites. Um, Thomasine McKenzie um, from Jojo Rabbit. Um, Matt Smith. Um, if anybody oh, knows him God. from Love. Yep. Um, Diane Riggs. Um, who else is in here? Yeah. Terrence Stamp. Um, yeah, it's. I'm very excited about this movie. Um, wh- the main thing I'm also also excited about is it's written by him and um, Christy Wilson Carnes, who wrote 1917. Wow. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Well, what were you saying after that one? Tenet? Was that your next one? Oh, yes. Tenet. Christopher Nolan's movie is obviously. Definitely. I'm interested in that. Um, Fast and Furious 9 comes out oh, yeah. next year. Oh, yeah. Um, which Michelle Rodriguez has had a hand in producing and um i'm very curious to see what her direction of the fast and furious franchise is <laughs> so um justin lynn is back um who directed what did he direct he directed five fast and furious oh, five awesome um, yeah yeah were there any others lucas that you had on your list um i'm curious about i have the the trial of chicago seven um aaron sorkin's new movie oh, which, yeah. which comes out um, next year he's directing as well. And I'm not a huge fan of his directing, but I love his writing. He just needs someone to rein him in. So we'll see. It's on my, yeah. it's on my list, but it's not, it's not that high up. Josh, what about you? Any runner up? Oh yeah. Um, I also had Tenet and soul and last night on Soho on my list. Um, in addition to, uh, the Mulan remake, I'm very oh, yeah? excited about. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I'm very excited about. I I really hate that Disney keeps remaking all of their old movies, um, except when they're like fixing representation problems. Yeah, sure. Like, I'm excited about a a version of Mulan, you know, m- not full of white people. Um, in the same way that yeah. I was mildly excited about an Aladdin, I mostly just didn't think the movie looked good, but I was excited that it got remade, not with white people. Um. So sure. I'm, I'm very excited to see a more like slightly more towards a martial arts movie style Mulan. Um, yeah. I also have uh, the personal history of David Copperfield. Oh yeah. Um, which I. Deb Patel. Yeah. Deb Patel, who I love. Peter Capaldi, who I love. Um, looks very interesting. Is that an Ianucci movie? Uh, yes. It's Ianucci. Okay. That's exciting. Um, and then the, el- the other one is In the Heights which I Ugh. could not be more excited about. In the Heights is also on my short list. That trailer makes me cry every time I see it. Um, I want more musicals that aren't afraid to be musicals, mm-hmm. that like aren't trying to be something else, you know? Like, And then they're also a musical. Like, Just be the musical. Be a, a fun dancing musical. Um, yeah, In the Heights is high it, up. It has, it has an excellent cast. I, the 
have you have you heard any of that music or seen that show? No, not at all. That I think. I mean, I was very excited about Hamilton because Hamilton is very good. But also, I was mostly excited because I was like, oh, finally people know who Lin-Manuel Miranda is, like, on a wider scale. Because In the sure. Heights is one of my favorite musical scores of all time. And uh, the the guy playing the main character in In the Heights is Anthony Ramos, who um, was, he took over for uh, Lin on Broadway after he finished playing Hamilton. Um, yeah, it's just, it's excellent. Also, more Jimmy Schmitz in my life can never go wrong. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Um, okay, so some of my runner-ups, um, a lot more films directed by women. Um, there's one coming out in March, so pretty soon, called Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Oh, yeah. And, and it's like a story about two teen girls traveling to New York City because one of them needs an abortion. Um, what... The subject matter is, um, like, it's special to me, and I think that, that it, the trailer looks like it's really good. But what makes me really excited for this movie is it's directed by Eliza Hittman, who who I last saw direct Beach Rats, which was a really, really great small movie that not a lot of people saw. And so seeing another movie from her is really exciting. Um I'm also excited for, we've talked about this on the podcast, Promising Young Woman coming out on Netflix, um, starring Carrie Mulligan. Uh, then Birds of Prey is coming out soon. I'm really, I'm jacked for Birds of Prey. Like, cannot wait for that movie. Mm. Um, I think it looks like a blast. I, I just think it looks fun. I'm really excited about it. I really hope there, it is. I think, I have a lot of hope. I, I have no reason, I think, to not be hopeful about it. Um, the, uh, like y'all said, Tenet and Dune are high on my list as well. Clea Duvall um, has a movie, she's directing a movie called Happiest Season. It's starring Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis. And it's a romantic comedy about a woman who's about to propose to her girlfriend at her family's holiday party, only to realize that her girlfriend isn't out to her conservative parents. Um, and the a movie with that subject matter coming from those three women is very exciting to me. Hmm. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, then the other movie that I have that's directed by a woman is called uh, Zola. Do y'all remember that Twitter thread that went viral um, a couple years ago about... The girl who's like a sex worker and she had this crazy story about going to Florida. Not off the top of my head. Is that ring- Lucas, is that, is that nope. not ringing any bells? Not at all. Y'all no. need to get on the internet because this was a big thing. <laughs> a few years ago, it was this crazy viral story on Twitter of this girl who was like a stripper and a sex worker. And she was, she was like, do y'all want to hear a crazy story? And she told this crazy story. And... Some of it was true, some of it wasn't, but she was such a good storyteller that it instantly got, like, option for a movie. That movie is coming out this year. A24 is producing it. Is directed by, um, I can't say her name, Janica Bravo. Um, it's starring Taylor Page and Riley Keough. We love Riley Keough in this household. Um, and it's written by Jeremy O'Harris, who I have not seen Slave Play, but it's a big play going on in New York that has gotten 
amazing reviews from people that I know and trust. Um, and so I'm excited for Zola. I think it looks like it's going to be a rad time. Um, and then the last movie on my list, not directed by a woman, but still very exciting, is Annette. Um, it is starring Adam Driver as a stand-up comedian, Marianne Cotillard as an opera singer, and it this movie is a musical. And Adam Driver starring in a musical is like a movie plucked from my dreams. So very, very excited for this. This was my second choice. It's uh, um, it's sung through, right? Is that, did I hear that correctly? I I don't know. Oh, okay. Um, I have never seen Holy Motors, but it is the English language debut from the director of Holy Motors. Um, and yeah, this movie just sounds so, so exciting. So after, after Yang, Annette is like my number two most anticipated movie. Um, yeah, those are all mine. I can't wait for all of them. Next year is going to be a good year, I, I think. High hopes I think we're going to have a lot of good films next year. going to be a very good year, year or a very disappointing year. <laughs> Right. All those movies right. we just listened to. Yes. Back yeah. a year True. from now and being like, oh, most disappointing. How can I choose? You know. <laughs> Hopefully not. I have I'm keeping my fingers crossed for 2020. Um Yeah, so let's tell people where they can find each of us online. Lucas, where can people find you? You can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff, including on Letterboxd, which is where I will have my top tens. Yes, and um, I will be linking all of our top ten lists uh, from Letterboxd in the show notes of this episode if you need a, a place to click. Um, Josh, where can people find you? Um, I am on Twitter at Professor underscore Crow. I don't have any idea what my letterbox is. You, Probably the yeah. badge, Josh. Okay. Great. And if will you put, make a list on Letterboxd of your top 10 yes, for me to link to? I will. Perfect. Yeah, so you can just click the link in the show notes. Um, and everyone can find all of my social media is at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. Thanks for listening to this long, long episode. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yeah. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 